Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line, where we are working on part two of mixing love and money. So we're going to hop back into that masterclass with Neil Stephen and Eleanor Beaton. And in this episode, we're going to talk about things like the Montebello rule. And if you don't have a version as an entrepreneurial couple, you need to consider it. Other amazing topics that we're going to delve into include why making your hobbies intense is important. What is renegotiation and why is it important? We also talk about money mindset, risk tolerance, and the legacy that you may want to leave with your business. Enjoy this episode. This is The Real Bottom Line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Okay, I want to go back to, because now we've come around and started talking a little bit about team. So your spouses were kind of peripheral, and then they became integral. How did you manage that? What was the, What are a couple of the key lessons you took or that you would do again? And what wouldn't you do that you did? Neil, you can go first because I see you talked first. So you win. Yeah. Not it. Yeah. <laughs> what would I do differently or, or what did we do? Um, yeah. We're each other's best friends for like ever, as long as I can remember. So it just, it was like seeing your best friend more, you know? So it was, it was pretty easy transition into that. It was fun. And <laughs> over time it's gotten more difficult at the start it was easy but as we got into more complexity and more in into more challenging things that we're trying to overcome um we we've had to adapt you know and so one of the things that um actually you and kelsey uh wendy introduced me to was the 24-hour rule i know that's one of your guys's rules and then we've adopted that in in uh with limited success <laughs> but it's, if you don't know what the 24-hour rule is if there's an issue you got you got 24 hours to speak up otherwise you got to let it go. You got to move on. That way, you know, you're not, things aren't being brought up from like a month ago. Right. So we do that to a, you know, to a limited extent, but what, what has really worked for us is, is what we call the Montebello rule. So we live in Dartmouth and uh, this is, this is modeled after Alan Marguerite Aisman, my mentors in Whitehorse and up in the Yukon when I lived up there, they own an ad agency in Whitehorse or they, they used to own an ad agency in Whitehorse before they retired. And they've been together forever too. And they had a rule they called the mailbox rule. And when they left uh, their office in downtown Whitehorse, downtown Whitehorse, I should put that in quotes, and went out to their subdivision in Fox Lake, when they turned off the Alaska Highway and went up to the through their subdivision, there was a, a community mailbox. Before there was community mailboxes, they, they were up north a lot. And as soon as they hit that mailbox, no discussion of work passed there. We just don't talk about it. And so then it's about the kids and it's about whatever you know, personal interests, you know, Al was a huge, is a huge fly fisherman. And, and so then they wouldn't talk about work until the next morning on their way to work. And they hit that mailbox, they might bring something up again. Uh, and so Kirsten and I implemented the Montebello rule in honor of that, because it, 
it made a lot of sense. And in practice, it's great. When we reach Montebello Drive in here in Dartmouth, that's on the way to our house. It's like, okay, that's it. And of course, we still find ourselves talking about work, but it's very easy to be like, ah, listen, Montebello, we'll talk about that tomorrow. And then it's a very quick single to the other person. Oh, yeah, 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 that's fine. We'll, we can talk about it later. And if everybody on here is an entrepreneur, so everybody here is used to working at like nine o'clock at night at your kitchen table. So obviously it doesn't apply there. If you're sitting at your de- at your table working, okay, now you're talking about work. But in all other instances, the Montebello rule has been really great for us. It just creates a boundary that, I mean, you have to create these boundaries. No one will create them for you. So yeah, that's what we started to do. The other big thing is uh, we really believe in renegotiation. So like, you know, Eleanor, if I make a commitment to you, well, then it's understandable that you would expect me to to keep that commitment. And I think a lot, I, I don't think I know a lot of people get hung up on that. Well, I committed. And so they do really crazy things because circumstances change, but they don't want to go back on their word. And uh, I got really great mentorship years ago that talked about renegotiation. You, know, you need to renegotiate. And so you go to the other partner, uh, the other person in the agreement, and you say, listen, here's the situation. What can we do here? Um, and for someone like me, that's tough because I really want to deliver. I want to, I want to just serve, right? So Kirsten and I finding that re, that the the capacity to renegotiate has been a game changer because it just reduces the stress equation dramatically, you know. And she can come to me, and and in the renegotiation, you find out some stuff that's going on, right? That you might not otherwise know if the person just kept it to themselves. And that's something we try to teach our staff too: is like, you know, life happens, things happen renegotiate where you can. So those are some of the strategies that we've tried to employ um, in the last couple of years. That's amazing. We have uh, somewhat similar, ours is called free versus uh, work. So we have a free day, meaning we're not going to do any work. And we establish those in advance if we can. And then someone has this monumental idea or they just come, something comes out and we go, are we having a free day or not? <laughs> and the answer can be, oh no, okay, let's break that rule. It's okay. Kind of like you, Neil, sometimes it does happen, sometimes it doesn't, but we've put the control into the person so that if they don't know it's a free day, we both shut up and don't do that. We don't go down that road. So that's ours. Eleanor, do you and Leon have something like that? No, we don't actually. We used to, we used to, I used to struggle more with the sort of boundary between always being on talking about business all the time. Um, that was more of an issue. And it was also more of an issue when the children were younger, when they Mm. needed, you know, they needed a a type of attention that requires presence. That's not fun. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Neil's still in that phase, Eleanor. <laughs> oh, living it every day. Right? Oh, you love them. They're amazing. They're so meaningful. You want to hug them. But Jesus, don't ask me to sit down and play Lego with you. Like, I'm not, I'm not your person. Like, wait, you know? So, and I know there's lots of people who truly enjoy playing with their kids. I think like Leon is much better at playing, What was much better when they were young at playing. But there's a time, you know, where... It requires, if if that's not your jam, it really requires a lot of focus and mental discipline to be present to stuff. You're like, this is the most boring thing on earth, but I love you. <laughs> so I'm going to be present with this child doing this thing and, you know, playing anyway. So as they've gotten older, you know, at that time, sorry, I had to, because it, I didn't find it fun my brain would just start going to the things that I did think were fun, which are building businesses and thinking about gender equity and thinking about writing stuff and making stuff, you know? So that was actually when it was more of an issue for me. And so it sort of had less to do with 
being a couple in business, but more to do with the fact that this was like a part of the fabric of our life. And it was a piece of the fabric of our life that I found really fun. As our kids have gotten older, I find it more fun as a parent. Like this is just me. And I know some people like, so our kids are 12 and 16. They play basketball, you know, Leon coaches them. We we're watching, we're doing stuff together and we're talking about things and we're having discussions. And so what I have found is that home life has actually become more absorbing. And so, you know, what I've always heard about hobbies is that they need to be, to be effective as a hobby, it needs to match the level of intensity of your work. And entrepreneurship is quite an intense type of work. And so your hobby probably needs to be fairly intense. That's why I love playing sports. They're intense, they're competitive, (laughs) you know, like you can bring that intensity as our home life, as our kids have gotten older and it becomes more um, captivating to me personally, I find those boundaries are, they're, they're not as necessary as they used to be. We can slide between interesting conversations about sales strategy, um, having a conversation with the kids about negotiating with a vendor and, and just kind of talking about that. Um, you know, like these types of things, we're able to kind of handle that. It's, it's more fun and it doesn't feel as intrusive as it once did. I love that. It's there's it's it's talks to a little bit about the cycle of life and that also talks to the uh integration versus balance versus whatever conversation that sometimes happens around work-life balance versus integration. So I just love that cycle. I'd like to bring up the M word. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Let's talk about money. Oh yes, let's talk about it. Um so as we all know. Here you are in a higher pressure. Sometimes, you know, now you're working together, you're living together. There's, there's one, there's one entity responsible for your paychecks and, and the quality of your life that can be stressful. Yet when we look at money, it is typically like number one reason couples divorce is because they're not talking about their money. And so I think that we're compounding a potential problem if we're not talking about money with our spouse, especially, you know, business and life. So Neil, what's your journey been like with talking about money with Kirsten and how's it going now? Has it, has it evolved as you guys have worked together more? Do tell Neil. <laughs> Kirsten's leaving. Spill the right tea, now. baby. Why? Yeah, I think that uh, it's, uh, I think it has, I mean, it's <laughs> a tough question. It is. You know so well, Wendy, and you've done so much work around the emotional connection to money and the impact that a person's upbringing has around mm. money. And we couldn't be, Kirsten and I couldn't be from different, more more different worlds when it comes to that. Um, I come from a, a world of scarcity, you know, major scarcity as a kid, and she doesn't. So, you know, that uh, that's something we've always kind of known and acknowledged and um, <laughs> debated and fight fought about, um, you know, and, and uh, it, it certainly manifests itself in a whole bunch of ways. But money has always been a struggle in terms of a conversation because we're just coming from very different planets when it comes yeah. to, money. and the success has been always rooted in empathy about that, <laughs> and not conflict, not frustration, uh, uh, sort of leaning into what makes us different and and reminding the the other of that 
has, has helped, you know, like um, Kirsten's become a lot more aware of why I do things, why I act the way I act sometimes, you know, and um, I've become a lot more aware of why she doesn't, <laughs> you know, and uh, so, so that's been, that's been good. When Kirsten came into the business, you know, a major part of her reason for coming in was to get the fiscal house in order, right? Like, let's, let's turn this little, you know, going concern into a proper concern and, and then make some good money. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've adapted <laughs> where, where possible. And I've also, I know I've, I've sabotaged things too for, uh, for stuff that she's trying to do um, based on my own fears and concerns and stuff. So it's, it is absolutely something that we struggle with every day. You know, sometimes you don't want to talk. Often you don't really want to talk about it and get into it. It's not my favorite subject at all. For her, it's very different. Um, and and uh, the thing that is important, I think, um, and again, this is advice, right? So we're supposed to give people advice. Uh, you know, is is uh, the person who is strong with the money has has got to make space for the other person to be uncomfortable, but do it anyway to be part of that conversation. Like we mm-hmm. we're at our best when we lead with empathy for the other person and just understand that like, okay, this is where she's coming from. You know, if I lean into that, I can put my head there and I can, I can get my head around it and and we can have a a fruitful conversation. And when we don't have fruitful conversations, it's, it's because we're looking inwards and not uh, looking towards each other. I find so that that's been, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't imagine it will ever not be a problem. You know, I think it's, I think it's always going to be a challenge for us just because of um, my own personal relationship with the subject. Um, as you have you have eloquently covered yourself, Wendy. So I, that, that's been my take on it. I, at the end of the day, she's um, a godsend for the company, and and she's forcing us to work through a whole bunch of stuff and uh, things that I would never have done. I probably would have went out of business by now. <laughs> so I would have just screwed this puppy up real good. And uh, she's saved my ass many times. So I think you just got to be honest about it and and uh, just really leave with empathy. I have this image of Kirsten leading you and she's so much smaller than Neil that to haul him around. It's just this interesting image. Kicking and screaming. Call number three. She's very good at it. (laughs) Uh, Eleanor, do you and did you and Leon have a similar upbringing around money? Do you have similar biases and uh, things around money or are you completely different like Neil and Kirsten? I mean, I think we're fairly similar. You know, uh, my dad was an economics prof and there's a reason that they call economics a dismal science. Um, You know, so he was, he, you know, in our family, he was actually quite cautious. So he understood money um, and finance on a macro scale, but he was really like in our household, my dad and my mom, they really valued open time. They really valued having a full life and hobbies. And so for them, they were like, look, we're going to live within our means of a professor's salary. We're going to, um, that's just going to be the way it is. So we were comfortable, but there wasn't, but you know, like, but there was a, um, I would say a sort of a distrust of wealthy people. Mm. So there was absolutely some of that you know, um, Leon's family, they're dairy farmers, but they're also sort of like Dutch entrepreneurs. So they're Scottish and Dutch. And so that's kind of interesting. You know, the, the Scots are dour. (laughs) I was going to say there's that might've, that might've, that might be striking close to home. Sorry, but there's like, so there's that, but then you have the, um, you know, the, the Dutch who are fairly innovative, you know? And so 
there was this, there, there was just an intrigue, an interesting, um, I would say that he came in frugal, but also seeing money as a tool. And I'll give you an example. So like so many entrepreneurs, look, if you're going to make it, you have to be able to sell something. Like you have to, it's a fundamental lesson. Number one, if you have to be able to get people to give you money in order to be an entrepreneur, if you can't, you will not eat, right? No, if you can't make that basic transaction, the business isn't happening. And so once he kind of encouraged me to pursue entrepreneurship and I did, I uncovered this fundamental thing about entrepreneurship, which is when you make something that is both useful and exciting and you invite people to to have it, to, to buy it, they do because people love to buy things that are exciting and useful, you know? And so that part of things like being a rainmaker, I understood that part. I got that part. It was fun. It was a clear game, you know, but I'll give you an example of something that kind of showed you how we thought differently about money. So this was back when we were each operating our own businesses. And this was sort of fairly early and Leon wanted to buy a piece of equipment that was like $130,000, which we did not have. And so he was like, hey, let's go to your parents and ask them to lend us the money. And I was like, and he made a good case. And I was like, so first of all, I was just kind of struck by the audacity. And this is what we hear like guys do all the time. They like ask other people to invest in their dreams. And I was like, oh my God, what? Okay. So I asked them, we put together like a very simple, basic business plan. I went to my dad, the dismal scientist economist and my mom. And I was like, Hey, we have this, can we borrow a hundred thousand dollars? Because, um, you know, and, um, we'll pay you back like all, we'll just pay back the money. We're not going to pay you tons of interest and all of that. Can, will you, will you do it? And they, it was like an agonizing 10 days that they made us wait. And then they were like, okay, we'll do it. And I was shocked. I was shocked. I was so think about this. It's like, oh my gosh, asking someone else to invest in your dream, using money as a tool to other people's money to use, to fuel growth. Like it, it, Leon could have knocked me over with a feather when he made the suggestion. And then later when I was like, oh, okay. So you're making these investments to grow your business. I see how this is. I'm going to be making some investments to grow my business. And he was like, what a great idea. Let's do it. You know, <laughs> and so we did, we, and it was, and so that was, you know, that was kind of how we started to, you know, like I have these, I have these kind of rainmaking skills in our field. He has this, um, brings this sensibility of using money as a tool. I tend to be more, um, he tends to take a pet, Ironically, he tends to take a more pessimistic and cautious view. I'm like, this is going to be fine, you know? So together, um, you know, we've been able to form, uh, I think those two things work. The one thing that I think I have found to be really challenging is the idea of joint accountability, Mm. right? Because it's so much easier, like my things, my, my approach that I had to really learn my way through and stumble my way through is either I'm 100% in control of something or I'm totally releasing, relinquishing control of somebody else. It was very black or white. And in some, in some areas that can really work, but it doesn't work with money. 
You know, you, Mm -hmm. you can't do that, especially with couples in business. And so I think that's one area that is this continuously evolving work in progress. So, you know, we meet every Monday as an ownership team with our director of operations and we go through financials. Um, As a couple, we meet, we used to do this weekly, but we don't need really to do it weekly anymore. We do it basically like monthly where we have a monthly money meeting. And we're just going through like, just to like, how, how is everything doing, looking at things, talking about things, looking at our investments, like all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that whole thing of joint accountability, I don't have any answers on that. I just have, you know, I just know that that's an area that I do find is like, it's, it's tricky because what it's, what it's, what's needed also evolves like the level, like how much oversight, how frequent is the oversight? What does it look like that I have found continuous continues to change and evolve. So that's been our experience. Your business is making a profit. You're growing, but you may still feel like you don't fully have a grasp on how to make the best use of this success. Don't worry. You're not alone. Hi, I'm Wendy Brookhouse, creator of the Total Wealth Accelerator and host of this podcast. I've developed a quick and easy tool that will give you a detailed snapshot of where you're currently at in your business and wealth growth and how you can improve upon it. It's called your financial diagnostic score. It's completely free and you'll instantly get the results. So head over to TotalWealthScore.com right now and see where you can focus to grow your wealth. That's interesting. I uh, just wanted to flag people. We're going to take questions uh, if anyone wants to pop them into the chat for us. Uh, but Eleanor, you touched on a subject that is really important to me is risk tolerance. Um, and so you talked a little bit about that. Neil, have you and Kirsten ever talked about risk tolerance in the business versus home uh, between each other? You know, you've alluded to some things that may suggest you have different risk tolerances. Hmm. Yeah, I think that we, yeah, we do not, not across the board, but in different instances. So I think sometimes we have the same risk tolerance. Sometimes we don't. It, uh, I'm a, I'm much more a believer in go, you know, do it um, and uh, put, put it in and make it work. And uh, I don't know if she's not necessarily that, or it's just not something that she's done a lot of. So I don't know if it's that uh, she's afraid of it. It's just, she doesn't have a lot of experience with that. Um, I say she, her name's Kirsten. She's on here. Um so, you know, I, I think that uh, I enlarged, I think we actually do have pretty similar risk tolerance because we both know what's at stake. Uh, there's a, there's a, a strong amount of trust there between the two of us that, you know, if we, you know, we're going to make success together and we're going to make failure together, <laughs> like we're going to, we're going to do this together one way or the other. And I think when, when you start there, that helps big time. I'm more likely to take a risk in something that I, I like, and I just really believe, and that's not surprising, but I tend to believe things that aren't real yet. <laughs> so I, I'm a big seer of things to come and adapt, yeah. adapt proactively, which creates opportunity. And uh, that's a real difficult thing for her to do. She is very much about today and nailing today and doing today well. Right. So it's, it's our strengths, right? Like, uh, and then, but when we have to make decisions, it can be difficult and, you know, I, I can't say enough about how strong, how much stronger she's gotten at trying to understand what I'm saying and appreciate it and, and roll with me on it. You know, even when it seems crazy, like I'm sitting in a studio right now that we built because I believe that a lot of people need a space to record a podcast affordably, you know, 
and uh, she doesn't know anything about podcasting really, but she was like, okay, if you see it, then let's do it. You know, we invest a lot of money in this space, but it's ready now. And, uh, you know, we're about to take it to market. So the vertical will be in soon, whether that was a good risk or not, but, but she was there with it, you know, and, and it just, I think it comes from just time and listening to one another and sort of, again, leading with empathy about, okay, how, how does someone arrive at the conversation? And for her, it's, she, she doesn't really see those sorts of bigger things in the future the way I do. So, so her it, trust in you allows her to accept more uncertainty because she trusts your vision. Yeah, I think that's, that that's probably fair. Um, and at the same time, you know, uh, my trust in her has allowed me to better enjoy the day and better live in the moment because, you know, she's, she's helped me understand like, okay, you know, there's, there's a time for certain things and there's a time not for those things. You, know, you need to be here today uh, and everything's going to be okay. If you forget about those things for a day and, and, and be present, you know, she's helped me understand that I can do that more than I've ever done before. So really, I mean, it's, it's been, it's really gone both ways. And I think we're both stronger for it. Hmm. Eleanor, any other comments? Does it, does this spark any more thoughts or things for you guys or tips? What was any tips? I was like really intrigued in the story. And then I forgot the question. I was like, it was around different, different risk profiles and uh, acceptable uncertainty or volatility, that type of stuff. Yeah. I think we have probably an equal risk tolerance. Yeah. Like, um, but to Neil's point, so, um, we have, I think Leon and I have, have fairly high risk tolerance. And, um, we, I think we both sort of share that what's interesting is how we look at things. So Leon is, you know, in the personality profiles, he, he's the guy that you want you, if, if, if it hits the fan, or there's an accident, or there's a fire, you 100% want that guy, you know, like, so he is, he's able to really look at things day to day immediate. Mm -hmm. I tend to spend much more of my time in the future, like Neil was talking about. And so I think how, you know, that's really important. We don't talk about that enough with risk either. So we have the same risk tolerance, but I'm looking at it I'm looking at that risk tolerance two years from now, and he's looking at it today or, you know, in the next 30 days. And a lot of that has to do with it, with our roles, but also with our personalities. That's awesome. I wanted to, before we, I'm going to get the question, um, the legacy you hope to leave as a couple owned business. I'll, I'll shoot to Eleanor for that. And then I'm going to have Neil deal with the second question. Eleanor, what is the okay. legacy you hope to leave? I love this question from Anthea. Hey, Anthea. So <laughs> what I would say is it's interesting because when I looked at that question, I realized when I think about, I don't think about Safi Media as a couple owned business. I just don't. Like I see Safi Media as this beautiful entity that is an entity in and of herself, you know, and I talk about it that way. We all see it that way. We all see Safi as a being. You know, so Safi is a being and her legacy is to really be a model for what sustainable scale looks like. Mm. And that's, you know, like we want to be a model of, of how to uncover that for yourself, of an example of a business that's done that. It's not easy. It's hard, you know, to do things in a non-traditional way as a couple, you know what I mean? And I see us as a couple being business partners as its own entity. 
in a way, you know? And so when I look at that, to me, it is about gender equity at home. So I know like a huge part of our, of our mission is advancing gender equity. And one of the huge things that drives gender equity is couple inequity that in order to, and this happens in same-sex couples, it happens in hetero couples, but in hetero couples, couple inequity drives gender inequity. So for us, it's really about being an example to our kids of what it looks like to have couple equity at home, that you have two parents who were able to have big roles and also have big flexibility, you know? And so that's, it's actually quite, that is quite meaningful to us personally. It's very much connected to our vision, um, but it looks different than the legacy that I want to have for Safi. They're related, but different. Wow. That's a, that's got a few mic drop moments in there, Eleanor. Um, mm-hmm. Big, big. And what I liked is that you addressed a couple of things. You addressed not only what the business does, but what it's doing for your family. So Neil, do you want to chime in on that for yourself? <laughs> so I saw you reacting a few times. So I thought <laughs> I might pull them out for that. I feel like for the uh, people listening, um, Eleanor is the one that has together and I'm <laughs> well on a journey towards having some together um I, I just the last point you were talking about equity i i uh wow that is everything what happened in our business is the business was like almost six years old before christian joined and so for six years she was doing a lot of things to help like book, bookkeeping at night and that type of stuff but my god the load she was carrying at home right like not equal it wasn't equal to begin with Right. We live in it's 20. Yes, it's 2023, but we're far from equal. Uh, you know, that's just the reality. We're moving in that direction, I think, I hope. But just the, the basic gender expectation or gender roles uh, in, in a marriage and within a family like with kids. My wife came to that very traditionally and still is. You know, she she it was nailed in her head or pounded in her head every day as a kid. Like, you know, her grandmother or nanny saying oh don't let so-and-so wash the dishes like that's a woman's job like ridiculous stuff but that's i mean that's what she grew up around right same as i grew up around a scarcity situation with money right so she's come up through that for five years five five and a half years or so in the business she really handled a lot more at home we had kids she handled even more i mean she went you wouldn't believe the things she she overcame to be able to have kids in the first just unbelievable stuff and then she, she then kristen enters the business and one of the things that we fight about or argue it's not really fighting but like i find myself constantly trying to point out to her that like this is this isn't right <laughs> you know, you can't put that expectation on yourself this is what i talked earlier about renegotiating like you need to renegotiate this with, with me kirsten because this isn't right like you're you're doing all these things in the business now and you're still the 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 leader at home and and that is not right like it's just wrong it's a bad example for the kids like eleanor said like it's not what we want at all but that's how she was raised. It's her go-to, right? So that that is a th- like when Eleanor said, I was like, oh my God, it's such a huge thing. Like as a man, I get off so easy. You know, it's people want to applaud me when I'm a, like, I, I, I just dad. It's like, for God's sakes, you know, <laughs> my mother would lose her shit if she, you know, she found out that people were happy because I did the dishes or something like that. <laughs> ridiculous you know but so one of the things that we did it's a small thing but we hired a cleaner we ne- i never i mean i come from a mind of scarcity like i would never think to hire a cleaner and it's not at all to say that kirsten did all the cleaning but she did a lot of it and it was like a thing that was there over her head and it was the thing she hated the most and so we just said well let's hire a cleaner then and so we got prices and we, and we did that and i never would have thought it would have done that but 
in retrospect, it's like the least we could do to make this more real and more fair and just acknowledge the lived experience she brings to the, to the conversation. Like she feels a pressure to do all these things at home. And when she doesn't do them, I think she feels guilty. Right. And that's, that's not an intellectual thing. That's an emotional response. And I can't help, you know, I can't, all I can do is be there and try to support it and try to prevent that from happening. And so we try to do that, but it, it is huge. It's as, as a couple, I, I, I often wonder how much is this happening in other relationships? So Ellen, I'm so happy you brought that up because to me, it's just like, I think it's the single biggest challenge that she faces is not feeling guilty about not being both. It's, it can't be, it can't be both. Ooh, okay. That was uh, an amazing set. We're getting close to the end. I just want to, I want to make sure that people know about the amazing uh, gift we're going to give people today before we have final comments. And that gift is going to be around communication, risk tolerance, all that stuff. And what's interesting is it's part of our process for the total wealth blueprint. We've never given it out not being part of that process, but it will give you some fantastic information uh, about how you uh, deal with risk. What is your financial baseline? What are the behaviors that are contributing or not contributing to your uh, financial well-being? And just some timeline things. So it's a, it's a fantastic, very interesting, robust report. So we're just going to put a big poll up there on there and just uh, say that if you want us to send it. And then I see we have a couple other questions in there. I'm not sure we're going to have time to deal with those today, but please definitely take this, uh, get the risk tolerance questionnaire. It is beyond informative and it can be great conversation starter. And as part of the offer, we can actually combine you and your spouse together and do a one-on-one -on -one consult to help you figure out path forward on that. So it's beautiful. Can I, just, so, can I speak to that real quickly, Wendy? Yeah. Uh, if, if you're, the work that Wendy does was foundational in Kirsten and I being able to talk better about, about talk clearer and with less emotion about money. And it set the, set the stage for us to be able to grow and do other things. And I just can't say, I just want to make that super clear. So if, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur with a couple like, and, and you're listening to this and you don't have clarity around your finances and such, like, uh, just can't say strongly enough, go speak to Wendy, uh, like right away. Cause it's gonna, yeah, there's an investment there. But there's an investment in anything that's that's worthwhile. And it was certainly worthwhile to us. I thank you for that, Neil. And to wrap things up, Eleanor, final tip, final words of wisdom from the queen herself. <laughs> Bring it on, sister. Let's go. Oh my God. It takes it takes um a lot of grace. There's like a question there about conflict. Have it, have it, you know, like get heated. And that's okay. You know, I think the challenge is when stuff is simmering. So um, I will get heated and so will he sometimes. And that's okay. And as you do this, pop your contact information into the chat, please, Eleanor and Neil, so that sure. uh, people we can actually get a hold can. of you. We need Courtney to set the chat so that, so that we can talk to everybody. She just oh. needs to go and yeah. We can't, I can only. And if uh, not, what I'll do is I'll include yeah. it in a follow-up email. I'll put their links in for that. I apologize. Zoom yeah. is fantastic. Yes. Neil, final tip, final parting, savvy mm. marketing. Tell us everything. <laughs> final tea to spill. Let's go. Um, yeah, that was an interesting question. I, it was, I was trying to read the question there about the about conflict and it, it was, uh, it was kind of a thought and a question. And I, <laughs> we raised our voices this week about money. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, like it's real and I, yeah, Eleanor's right. Like have it, but always like, if you come to those heated debates, 
with us with, with clarity on aligned values, like this is what we're trying to achieve, then have at it. Go crazy, fight like mad because you're fighting about what you're trying to achieve, you know? But if you're not on the same page, it's going to be brutal. You got to be on the same page about what you value, what you're trying to do in the business, what you're trying to accomplish. If you have that stuff clear, then, you know, have a fight. I, I also wanted to say that like, <laughs> if your marriage is tough or if your partnership or whatever it is, is, is uh, like, I mean, outside of the business, if there's conflict already, get support, get help with that. Cause adding a business is, is it's like we fight all the time. So we had a kid to make it better. It's like, well, that probably was, <laughs> you know, that might not be the solution. And uh, if you're fighting all the time, you're having conflict, you know, starting a business together might be a real challenge. You might want to sort that stuff out first and it's worth sorting out. You know, when you love each other, it's, it's always worth that. But I guess maybe one, one piece to what, whatever, just empathy. <laughs> business is hard. These things are hard. Raising a family is hard. All of these things are difficult. And um, when Kirsten gave me an amazing piece of advice, I'm an introvert. And uh, when I have to like go see people, I get stressed about that. And she told me something many, many years ago that stuck with me. She said, just be super excited to see them because if you're super excited, they'll reflect that energy back to you. It doesn't matter if you haven't seen them in 10 years, it'll be fine, you know? And fuck was she ever right? <laughs> Pardon my language, but I didn't know. I said, okay, I'll give this a try. And so I did. And she was totally right. And what I realized is, is it's coming, how you come to something is everything. And so in those conflict moments, if you show up to the conflict with empathy as a starting point, you're going to be fine. Have the fight, go through the thing, because you started from a position of empathizing, you know, the other situation or the other person's perspective, it's going to be more fruitful. You're going to get much better returns out of that conflict or that, uh, that debate than if you went at it, being mad at the other person, it just doesn't work. You got to start by trying, force yourself to understand and appreciate their perspective. Even if you vehemently disagree with it, uh, it'll make everything a million times easier. That's my basic There's so much wisdom. I feel like we could talk for hours, you guys. But so I really want to thank your time. I know it's very valuable, just as valuable as the insights that you provided us today. And to everyone who's still on the call, as we exit, there will be a survey. We It's just four questions. Love you to take that survey for us uh, so we can start uh, figuring out how to help more entrepreneurial couples with the things that they need help with. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Have yeah. a wonderful day. Wow, there was just so much learning in this episode. Do you want more? I have a special offer for The Right Entrepreneur, a complimentary one-on-one -on -one coaching session that is all about you, your business, and your goals so that you can accelerate your business and start to accelerate the growth of your network. Head over to wealthcoachwithwendy.com. There you will find a letter that kind of outlines all the details of this offer and also an application form. We have an application form because there's such a limited number of, of slots that we're opening up for this that we want to make sure that the people that um, uh, do are successful in getting the slot, we can make the biggest difference with. So head over to wealthcoachingwithwendy.com and apply today. Thanks.